You know, brethren, friends, family. I told myself I was going to stop crying in the pews. I love you all so much. I've lived my life struggling with a lot of questions, man. Anxiety and pain and depression and looking out at this world. And I found the answer. I'm standing in it right now and I'm so thankful for that. I can't express that enough. I have been through many points where I I didn't think I would ever find the answer. That I was just floating and swimming through a void. That everything was just going to keep falling apart. That it was going to sink like sand through my hands. But praise the Lord, I've found a family. I've found a hope. And it's only in Christ. And I'm so thankful for that. That being said, this is my last sermon as a member here. And I'm honored and I'm humbled looking out and seeing all the faces that are here. I know that this isn't about me, and I know that this is emotionally heavy, probably probably a lot more for me, I'm crying a lot, but I want you to look past me in this lesson, and I want you to see Jesus, I want you to see him, and I want you to see what, what he can do for you, and I want you to see how no matter how hard of questions are being asked, that the answers can be found, and that's going to start in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3, I'm going to read from you there in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3. Ecclesiastes in the third chapter, where the wise man says this, in Ecclesiastes 3, for everything, for everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what's planted, a time to kill A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9 says, What gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart, so that they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning until the end. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 1 through verse 11. Everything happens in its time. You know, brethren, friends, family, beloved, there was a time in my life, and I won't belabor you because if you've listened to my sermons over the time, you can puzzle piece the puzzle together. I don't need to tell you all the things that happened to lead up to that. But I was praying to the Lord that I would be just taken out. That He would deliver me from my circumstances, even if that meant that I had to be struck down and killed. But He did not do that. He didn't answer my prayer the way I wanted it to. And I'm so thankful for that. Because He took me through the fire. And He can do the same thing for each and every one of you. In His time. Everything has a time. And we go through difficult times here on this earth. And this is a difficult time for me right now, standing in front of all of you. And I hope that you'll be joined with me in this worship of God 
And I want you to express one more time that I'm so thankful that we're here. If you can open up your Bibles and be studying along with me, I'd be happy to answer any questions from the Word, any questions that I can from this lesson. And I'm asking that you study along with me. Again, in Ecclesiastes in chapter 3 and in verse 11, we're told that eternity is in man's heart. Eternity is in man's heart. And that's what the wise man writes there. It says that he's put eternity into our hearts. Well, what does that mean? Eternity in our hearts. Well, I think that that means that God has given us a spirit. And God has given us uh, a soul within us. Pardon me. And God has given us a desire and an appetite and a thirst for certain things that cannot be obtained by physical means or even by psychological means. That we have these needs for a purpose and for rest, real inner peace and for joy. That no matter how much physical things we try to do to accomplish or to achieve, to obtain these things, we can never satisfy these appetites in our lives because God has set eternity in our hearts so that no matter how much we toil and we spin and we work, at the end of the day, we're not going to know the answer to the question, what happened in the very beginning and what happened to the, in the, what's happened to the end? What's the purpose unless we have God? There is literally no other way to answer the biggest questions in life other than for there to be a God. The very first question, and I just want to ask questions. That's all I want to do this entire lesson. I'm not going to tell you what to think. I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. I just want us to think honestly. And this is not just for non-Christians. For the Christian, I struggle every day. And if, you're, if you don't say this, you are lying. I struggle every day wondering, is this all worth it? Is there really a God out there? And I know that you do too. We might shake hands in the foyer and how are you doing? I'm good. But I know that you're all struggling. Because you're human. And I am too. Fallible and weak and frail humans. But if we ask these questions, I think our faith can be rebuffed in Jesus if it's there. And I think that if we honestly evaluate them, that we can find faith in Jesus through these questions. The first question that I want us to all ask, and that I'm asking myself tonight is, what is my purpose? What is my purpose? One of the first questions, whenever you meet someone, and when I was in college, I did communication studies, as you all know, and I did a lot of networking type stuff, networking events, leadership luncheons, things like that. And the very first thing that people would ask when they shake your hand is, what do you do? What are you majoring in? What's what, they're asking you, what's going to be your job? Why are they asking that? Well, because that person is trying to figure you out. They want to know, what's your purpose? What is your function in society? What do you do for the us, the we. What do you do for me? That's what they're trying to figure out. People want to figure out where you, where you line up economically. They want to line up, figure out where you line up in your culture. They want to know what, what's your purpose. In this machine of society, where do you fit in? And the reason we want to know that is because eternity is in our hearts. We're looking at everybody else trying to figure out, well, what are you doing? Well, well what is she doing over there? What is he doing? Maybe I could follow that guy. Maybe I could follow her. Maybe, maybe, oh, maybe that guy's got it all figured out. We run to and fro trying to figure out, well, what's my purpose? But in the end, without God, you can't find that out. Because a lot of people will occupy themselves. Look at Ecclesiastes now in chapter 5. In chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, there's a couple different things that people occupy themselves with that they orient and center their entire lives around that are just big standouts. And I'm not going to hit them all here. But again, if you've got one that's different than this and you want to talk to me about it and think that it fulfills this question viably, then we can talk about it because I want to do that. I want to know what is your purpose. 
Some people's purpose is finances. They want to sit on a big mountain of wealth. In fact, that was one of my goals before I became a Christian. I wanted money because money is power and respect and dignity in this society. And like I said, people try to, they try to figure you out. And a lot of ways that people will gauge your value is off of finances. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, it says that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Do you believe that? Perhaps not. Perhaps not fully, because maybe we don't realize that money is finite. That the well's going to run dry at some point. Where's that going to run dry? Well, maybe not until the grave. But whether your vice is spending, saving, or both, at the end of the day, if that's your God, where's that going to be in the end of time? Dust. Dust. We'll all end the same. Worm food. Your value is nil. That can't be the case. That's not a sufficient purpose. Obtaining money and wealth and material blessing. That is not the end-all, be-all of existence. But perhaps you have a bit more of a nobler purpose. Perhaps your purpose is to just be a good person. Goodness. Noble, certainly. A good intention, but 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 <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to satisfy our criteria, does it? Good intentions are very good, but that's all they are, our intentions. In Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, we read about some people that had some, I'm sure, some good intentions. In Judges chapter 17 and verse 6, there were plenty of people who set out to do this very thing. They wanted to be good people, but good people according to whom? It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, no authority. So what happened? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Again, I I did that. I still do it sometimes. Where does that get me? I want to demonstrate this to you. The idea of me defining my own good will not satisfy me ever. It will not satisfy this need for a purpose. And why? Because a compass that only points back to me can never get me home. I will be walking around in circles forever and never know any sense of direction. In like manner, whenever I try, whenever I have tried, me personally, I'm telling you this, to determine my own standard of good, I bounced back and forth and to and fro uncertainty on sinking sand. It never, it never satisfies. And I want to share a quote with you. One that I think a lot of people in our generation, my generation, the millennials, the Gen Z's, I think they would give a like to this on Facebook if they just saw it, just outright. Let me read this to you. It says, I can, I can fight only for something that I love. Love only what I respect and respect only what I at least know. Who is that? Nelson Mandela? Martin Luther King Jr.? No, try Adolf Hitler. That's Adolf Hitler. He believed what he was doing was good. But he was a bitter and a cold man that breathed his last breath, shaking his fist at God one more time. Was he satisfied in the end? Even after his big crusade? His moral crusade? No. Because Adolf Hitler was running around in circles with a compass that pointed back to himself every time. So that doesn't satisfy That doesn't satisfy. Plus, anyway, being good means... Being good isn't a purpose. Being good means that you fulfilled a purpose. For example, a good watch tells time. A good microwave heats things up. A good pew is comfortable to sit on. There's no goodness in this pew in and of itself other than the fact that it fulfills a purpose. So just saying, I just want to be good. That's like a cop-out. Well, what is good? You don't know. 
It's, it's, um, it, it could be, to you it's just imaginary if there's no God. So we have to, so we can't answer that question of, well, what's my purpose? Well, I want to be good. Well, you can't do that without God. Because you don't have an objective standard. Look in, look in, uh, Galatians chapter 2 and verse 19. Maybe, maybe even you just want to be happy. Now listen, I want to be happy too. Actually, I think we're designed to want to be happy. And I think happiness is good. And, and there's nothing wrong with happiness in and of itself, just like there's nothing wrong with the intention to be good or, or, or accumulating wealth or possessions or things like that if used properly in good stewardship. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying I, that we shouldn't be happy, but in, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 19, we're told that, that, that pursuing earthly happiness is not the kind of happiness that we need to pursue here. It says that the earthly pleasures are not going to bring anything profitable here. There, it says that, that, that there are going to be some who do pursue those things, their end is going to be destruction. Why is that? Because their God is their belly. They glory in shame because, they, and so they're happy in their shame, but their mind is set on earthly things. Again, if all my happiness is derived from pleasure, and I, and my, I make my life about a pleasure quest, where's that going to lead me? More and more hunger for that pleasure. And I will never be satisfied. And my, my, my idea of a purpose will never be fulfilled because there will always be a new dragon to chase. Every moment, that is what happens. That, that process is called addiction, friends. And that can happen to any of us. It can be our screens. I've suffered from that. It can be from chemical substances. I have also suffered from that. It can be from an array of things, the approval of others. It can be from anything. There are people out there in the world who are addicted to like eating drywall. Okay, That makes them happy. That's not a fulfilling purpose, though. Just being happy. Because happiness fades. Well, the, the question really is, is there anything then that can ever fulfill this idea of what is my purpose in this world? We go chasing all these things, chasing degrees, chasing jobs, chasing wealth, chasing the dollar bill to the grave, chasing my own idea of goodness and what I think it means to be a good person where I'm running myself in circles and running myself ragged, chasing happiness and idyllic pleasures, frolicking the, and just losing all, all sense of duty and responsibility, seeking pleasure like a hedonist. All those things don't satisfy. So is there anything that satisfies? Well, there's there's nothing. Nothing in this world. Why? Because this world is dying, friends. It was made to do that. It was made to perish so that we could see the contrast with the things that are imperishable. God. Eternity. The eternity that's in our hearts. See, this world is designed to cause us to look inwardly to our souls and then that acknowledgement of our souls is to cause us to say, I'm missing something crucial and have that desire to seek that. But when we're constantly chasing all these other things, we're never going to find that desire. We're going to smother it. So when I ask what's my purpose, that's what I mean. And, and I want to put forward to you this, that there is a purpose for mankind. And it's not going to be found here on earth. It's found in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, flip over with me to Ephesians in chapter 2, where Paul tells us what we are and why we're here. And this purpose, when believed and when lived out, I attest to you, and I know about a hundred other people in this room right now that will attest to you that this will fulfill this, this idea of a purpose. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in Him. That word worksmanship, guess how that's also rendered? Masterpiece. We can be a masterpiece.
fit and molded perfectly to be what a person is supposed to be. And what does that look like? It says that we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. Well, earlier we said we can't figure out what goodness is without an objective standard. What more of an objective standard of goodness do you need other than a man who would hang on a cross for you and for me, totally sinless and guiltless, who would breathe his last, saying things like, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do, into your hands I commend my spirit, who gave his entire life to the life of a servant, always doing things for others and never for himself. Where is that objective standard? It's not hard to find. He said, I am the way. We can see that if we want to know. We can see that if we want to know. And we should be encouraged by that. And when we realize that we're created for a reason, not to serve self, but to serve God, a higher being, a higher purpose, and to then therefore the love that God gives us to, to spread out and just, just mold and affect others. Getting tongue-tied, I'm sorry guys. And when that happens, we realize our purpose. And you don't have to, you don't have to say, hmm, is this working? Because you're standing in it. That's what I'm realizing right now in this moment. I am standing in it. It's working. I don't feel like I have to ask myself, what's my purpose? I love you all. And I love the Lord. And I hope that we can say the same thing. Because that's what can drive us. And then, but, but until we take all of this selfishness, and we put it on the altar and we sacrifice it and we say, I want to figure this out. Why am I here? But we get all that other stuff out of the way, then we can see it. But, but at times, I can confess to you, my pride has gotten in the way. And I've not wanted to sacrifice those things. But if you believe that it's possible, that if you seek, then you will find a purpose. I promise you, this is the purpose that you will arrive at. If you seek, you'll find. So that's what pushes us. I think I can speak for every Christian right now. This is what pushes me to wake up in the morning. Rather than just lay in bed and just, oh, another day. This is what wakes me up. This is what causes me to put a smile on my face when I'm feeling broken inside. This is what allows me to put in one more hour when I'm on E. This is what allows me to smile even in the face of death. Do you agree, brethren? God is so good. But what happens? What happens even when we found this purpose? I mean, I, I remember when I found this purpose. To glorify God. To serve other people. To constantly grow in that. When I found that, it seemed like, man, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and I'm just going to convert the world. And nobody can stop me. And I've got this blazing trail of holy flames behind me everywhere I go. And I'm, you know, frolicking from the forest. Then some trouble comes and there's a storm. Well, what happens in that storm? Sometimes it seems like just one thing after another. So where do we find rest? Where do we find peace? I remember sitting in a college dorm in my freshman year of college, staring at a white brick wall, wondering, can I just have a second to rest? No matter where I turn, anxieties are ripping me in half. Where can I have a second? And this is just college. I didn't even, I didn't even stepped out into the real world yet. You can imagine, I'm, I'm wondering this, where am I going to find rest? And where am I going to find peace? Because what happens is, we get faced with financial turmoil. We, we're afraid to open up our bank accounts because it's like, oh man, oh, you know, you should put that thing away. Okay? We get faced with relational problems. We come home to cold glances. We hear things that we could never imagine hearing from people that we thought that loved us. 
We see families broken apart. We lose people in our lives that we didn't want to lose. We come up against traumas that have been embedded in us since before we even could think. We come up against even, yes, death in this life. It is a storm. And it doesn't stop, does it? So then how can I rest? When there's just constantly these fires to put out all the time. And it just seems like it's ripping me in half. Where do I find my rest? Look in Matthew 7. Look in Matthew 7. I remember I heard a gospel preacher preach a sermon from this passage one time. I was in a really rough spot and he probably doesn't realize what it meant to me. But it really it really picked me up. So Matthew 7 verse 24. Jesus illustrates beautifully what happens when we can build our purpose and we find our rest in his words and in his way of doing things. And again, can attest to you that it works. Why? Because I'm standing in it. Look in 24. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, and does them, pay attention to that, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Why? Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against the house, and it fell, and great was the fall. So when we're feeling lost, and we're feeling broken, well, where do we go? Where, where can I possibly turn? When, when the money's running thin, when the family drama strikes, when the diagnosis comes back positive, when I'm faced with everything, where do I go? If I'm broken and I'm empty, I can't turn to myself. What can I give to myself? Nothing. I can't be fulfilled with my broken and empty self. Where can I go? The Bible says in Peter that we can cast our anxieties on the Lord. But what does that mean? That we can take after his example. That we can find our rest in him, not in ourselves. How does that work? I want to show you who Jesus is. And I want to show you that, that we can't find that rest anywhere but in Him. Because He went to the nth degree. He went right into the storm. Right to the thickest part of it. There in Jerusalem on a hill. With His family surrounding Him. Mocking Him. Oh, if you're the King, come down. Come down. Prophesy who hit you, King. Spitting on Him. Twisting a crown of thorns over His head. Oh, you want to call yourself a king? You think you're an authority? You're nothing. That's what they said. And what did he say? What did, what did Jesus respond? Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Let me ask you this. Do you think that those who were standing at the foot of the cross felt that it was necessary to record this for us? Absolutely. And do you think that God wanted us to have these words? Absolutely. Well then, brethren, I'm asking you why. So we can see the character of Jesus, one. But so we can adapt that into our lives, number two. Because at this moment, Jesus was in the thick of the storm. But He could have said anything. He could have reviled back at them, and He would have been right to. He could have struck at them, and He would have been right to. But He had so much peace within Himself... And he was so confident and so congruent and so in control and so self-disciplined. He just said, 
Father forgive them. They really didn't know. They didn't understand what they were doing. Again, they were operating on their own compass. They thought what they were doing was good. And it was an example to all of us that when Jesus could have looked down at everyone else and condescended, he chose to look up and say, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. If we could even capture a fraction, even of just a one billionth of that kind of character, how blessed would we be, brethren? Man, how blessed would we be? And we can draw near to that. But here's the thing. You think I'm done? We aren't even just promised purpose and rest in all of this storm. But believe it or not, we're even promised joy. Joy? What? I'm not talking about emotional happiness. Those days are going to come and go. I have good days. Good day happy. (laughs) Bad day sad. You know, that happens. It's life, okay? I, I get that. We're human. We all have our quirks and things that set us off. You know, I get that. But I can have joy that's constant underneath all that. And that's evident, isn't it, brethren? Think of somebody you know that's really spiritually solid and they're going through trials and you see it, you just see it in their whole demeanor. No, it's okay. It'll, it'll be okay. We'll get through it. We'll get through it. You see that through that. And you see people suggesting, well, well what's the positive we can take out of this? What, what's the lessons we can learn from this? They've got that joy. They've got that optimism, that, that heavenward optimism that goes through circumstances. So for, for this last question I want to pose to you all, is, well, well, how can I have joy? How can I have joy in a totally fallen and broken world? How can I have a sense of congruency and completeness in a world that just seems to keep breaking? Everything breaks. Everything's finite. It disintegrates. It's unstable. Well, how do I find that joy? Now, I know, again, that it's not perfect because, again, I'm living in this world. I'm here, okay? So if this is all we've got, then yeah. Well, where am I going to find joy? Well, guess what? It's nowhere. You can be happy, but a consistent sense of contentment, you're not going to find it. But in Christ, you can. So I found three things. Real quick, I'm going to share with you. I'm not starting a whole other sermon, so don't get antsy. But I found three things where I can take my joy. Three things where I can take my joy and where I can find my joy. But again, I'm not going to be able to find this outside of God. And it's kind of paradoxical how we find it. It doesn't make sense to the human thinking to the earthly mind of how we're going to find this joy again it seems like we're buffeted at all sides but but again i say joy and you would the last word that you're going to think of is well you're going to find joy when you're broken you're going to find joy in the brokenness in the imperfections in the dirty in the cracks of life joy and broke brokenness yeah you can be joyful and broken that's true what happens when I, i'm totally empty and i'm totally i have nothing left And I try to go to my own truth to help me. Well, I find nothing but a void. I'm just staring into a void. So I go and I busy myself with all these other little distractions. That's what happens. And that happens because I'm not perfect. But if I try to do that, then I'm always going to miss something. You know, I once spoke with someone, a good friend of mine, and really a good guy. Uh, We were sitting outside of a, a training in a gym I trained at up in Richmond. We just we just fought pretty hard together, and had my, we had our arm around each other. Good job, man. Good job. And he said, "Hey, man." And I could tell we, we kind of had a little bit of rapport just just from training hard together. He said, "Man, what? Where did you where did you get religious anyway? What caused that?" We were just kind of talking back and forth. And I kind of told him my story, and I could tell some wheels were turning his brain. He said, "Yeah, that's cool, but I just don't feel like I need forgiveness. I just don't feel like I've done a whole lot wrong." 
And I said, well, buddy, you know, I've been there. Maybe you're dealing with a little bit of pride right now. And he kind of looked at me and he went, okay, got me. And because you can't say you're, you're, you're totally perfect. That, that's impossible. Uh, none of us are. We've all, when we look at our life, it's undeniable. We'll see stumble after stumble after stumble. Romans 3 and verse 23, anybody? Romans 3 and verse 23, what does that say? For we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's right. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. We're imperfect, okay? By our own volition, we head down a path to death, but still we stumble and we fall. But look in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. You know, I had a lot of trouble understanding who God was. Because growing up, I heard Heavenly Father. Our good, good Father. Heavenly Father. I didn't know what a good father was. I'd never seen one. Didn't have one. So when everybody was talking to me about a good father, I didn't know what that meant. But when I read the scriptures, I can see what that is. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What does that tell me about my Father in Heaven? That tells me that He loves me and He will be patient with me even when I am imperfect and when I am broken. And so I don't find joy because I'm broken. Don't get me twisted here. I find joy because God loves me despite in my brokenness. Despite of my brokenness. Because even still, no matter how broken I am, that I know where I can go to be put back together again. And that's God, and He wants that for us, and He cares for us. And He doesn't ask for perfection. You don't have to to come forward to the invitation when you're perfect. You come forward to the invitation when you realize that you're not. People need to understand this. So we have to find that in our brokenness, in our imperfection. We have to find joy, but you're not ever going to find that unless you go after God and try to find Him. But again, there's suffering in that. And it's hard sometimes, but I'm putting to you that there can be joy in that suffering. I want to direct you to one of my favorite passages in Romans chapter 5. This passage has gotten me through very many hard times. I want to tell you that I've fallen down multiple times, brethren. Some of you have witnessed these errors and these mistakes. These uh, driving off into a ditch, trying to get to the Hatfield episode, spiritually of course. You know, you guys have seen that. And so I don't pretend to be perfect standing before you. I've stumbled and I've fallen, but I didn't stay down. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I didn't get up either. I was pulled up by the hands of Christians who were operating under the will of Christ. How does God, where is my evidence for God's existence? In the suffering, in Christians, in how that God uses people and how he molds them into who they need to be. Look at Romans 5 and verse 3 through 5. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given into us, given to us. So, what happens when a Christian goes through a trial? They're molded. They're refined. We don't wonder, scratching our heads, what's, what's going on here? Why does this have to be? Why, why is this? Oh, woe is me. We see. I'm going to be tougher the next time. 
This is going to make more sense the next time. And farther along, it all makes sense. I was sitting here hearing that song in his time and I was thinking about that prayer that I prayed. Lord, please deliver me from this situation. I was 11 years old when I prayed that prayer. And now I'm not, I am standing in the answer to that prayer, brethren. That is how God teaches us and molds us. And when we give ourselves to him, he does his, he does his will and he does good. And in that suffering, we see how we're molded. James 1 and verse 2 says that we're to count all joy when we meet various trials. That, that seems contradictory to human thinking. Whenever my car breaks down, I don't want to go, yes, an opportunity, good. One of my favorite, one, one, one of the favorite people in my life, uh, he, he always refers to problems as opportunities. He said, there's an opportunity over here. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to like go feed these dogs or something like that, you know. So, so, but, but that's a, that's a Christian mindset, isn't it? A suffering, a trial, a problem to solve. That's a place that I can grow in, right? And we see that, and that process works together with the goal of becoming Christ-like to sharpen and refine a Christian into a stronger, nobler, more dedicated disciple of Him as we go toward the goal of being someone who would lay down their life for their worst enemy. And that's where we find joy in suffering. We can also find joy in surrender. Joy in surrender. Well, that doesn't really make sense either. That not surrender kind of like, you know, losing how can, we, how can we have joy in losing? Well, it's not losing. Again, it's ironic. It's not what we expect. But surrender is how we win. In every game but one, okay, in every game but one, surrender leads to a loss. But in this matrix, in this complicated knot web of life that's literally designed to make us look up and look in, the only way to win is to not play. You know what I mean? The only way to win is to give up. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 tells us that we can win, not the way we think, not by getting a bunch of stuff, no. not by getting lots of power and influence, not by getting one over on our enemies, not on having the Instagrammable life, the, the, the white picket fence and the smiling family with all the sweaters. That's, that's, not, that's not how we win. No, no, those things all fall apart. Without God, First John chapter 5 and verse 4, where victory is found. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. So I've asked a lot of questions, right? What I've done. And really, I, do, I don't want this to come across as I'm telling you what to think. I want you to chew on this. I want you to come, up, come away with your own conclusions. I really do. And if you're a Christian, I hope that this has challenged you in some areas. If you're not a Christian, I really hope this has challenged you in some areas. It's challenged me just getting up here and saying this. But when I say faith, this is the ultimate challenge because people say faith. That's the answer to all these questions. Faith? That's all you got? But hear me out. Faith isn't blind. Everyone has a little bit of faith. In fact, every time you put your foot on the floor, you have faith. You have faith that there's not going to be a cosmic void open up and suck you into it. You have faith that the floor is going to be there and you have faith that your body is going to do what you tell to do when you put your foot on the floor. You have faith in your career. You have faith in your career choices. You have faith in your family members and your friends that you hang out with and you spend time with and you invest in. Investment and faith are hand in hand. You don't see the end result of those things, but yet you continue to invest in those. Why? Because humans were designed to be faithful. But we get the choice to be faithful to what? Every step we take is made in faith, but depending on which direction we go, 
we can either place our faith in those finite things or eternal things. Now, as we're coming to a close here, as we ask the question of these, of these things, what's my purpose? What is my rest in the storm? Will I ever find joy? Do you think you're going to find the answer in finite things? Or do you think that there may be eternal things that are worth searching for? And what, that, what does that look like? I tried to answer these questions on my own for a really, really long time. What I felt like forever, you know. And I, and I kind of wandered around. You guys know this. And I'm going to tell you where I found the answer. I found the answer in a creation that is so beautiful and so perfectly fine-tuned and ordered that I can't help but see that and think that there's an artist behind all of it. I see that answer in the face of my brethren. The, the, the people who stand outside and, and I don't have really anything to offer, but you give me a kind word and you give me a pat on the shoulder. And, and I'm just a punk kid that strolled in here. And I, I came in here like a stray dog spiritually with mange and all that stuff. And people who picked me up and showed me how to pick my own self up by my bootstraps. That's where I find the answer. That's where I keep finding the answer. And I keep finding the answer again and again. I keep finding the answer in situations like, like standing in that baptistry, holding my mother, a newborn Christian, saying, thank you for never giving up on me. That's where I find the answer. And I find that answer in a hospital room where there's someone laying there who has no hope, who I see hope glimmer into her eyes. I see that answer every day when I share that with you brethren and when I'm able to serve and put myself in a position to help my friends who I love so much. I find that purpose. I find rest. I find joy in brokenness, suffering, and even submission and surrender. So all you have to do to find God. I know it sounds simple. I know it can seem far-fetched, but listen to me. This is the plea. Ask yourself, what's my purpose? Where's my rest? And where can I find joy? I want to show you that you can find it in Christ. And I want to ask you tonight, first I want to thank you. Before I ask anything, I want to thank you for, for sitting through this sermon. I know it was very long, but I wanted it to be epic. And I hope that it was. I hope that it was edifying to you. And I hope that it challenged some of you. And I want to say, in a minute, I will stand right here for one last time as a member of this congregation. And if there is any doubt in your mind about Jesus Christ, if you're struggling as a Christian, I'm here for you. If you have not obeyed the gospel, I'm, I hope that this lesson has demonstrated there's nowhere else for you to turn. You will not be satisfied with any of these things. And there's no time like now to become a Christian. Furthermore, if you just have questions... It doesn't have to be right now. You don't have to come forward and make a big show of it for any of those things. I want to help you through those questions to the best of my ability. The invitation of the Lord is extended to anyone who wants to come forward now as we stand and as we sing.